This episode is brought to you by Pelvic Relief. Born out of necessity, Pelvic Relief was founded by mother of three, Eleanor Gardner, for all of those who discovered they could not access quality products and information to manage conditions such as pelvic pain, incontinence and painful sex. Led by science and quality, Pelvic Relief have brought together best-in-class products for Pelvic Relief, including sole-source silicon and GRS dilators, O-nut, EVB support wear, period and incontinence pants, EZ Magic and Yes Lubricants and Moisturisers. Gronya and I highly recommend Pelvic Relief, frequently referring our patients to purchase quality products, knowing they will receive a quality service. To visit the website, visit www.pelvicrelief.co.uk. Thank you so much, Pelvic Relief, for sponsoring At Your Cervix podcast, season two. This is At Your Cervix, the podcast, the podcast where pelvic health physiotherapists Emma Brockwell and Gwanya Donnelly talk to incredible guests who help lift the lid and bust the myth on all things pelvic health. Welcome to At Your Cervix, the podcast, season two, episode six. I'm Emma Brockwell. In today's episode, Gwanya and I talk to Pip, a midwife and new mum to nine-week-old baby Finlay. Pip talks to us about her role as a midwife and her views on pregnancy and childbirth now that she's had a baby herself. She also shares with us the realities and pressures of being a midwife and the current maternity crisis. We discuss the guidance around the COVID vaccination for pregnant women and finish up with her experiences so far of her postnatal recovery and eventual return to running. And welcome back to At Your Service, a podcast. This is episode six, and we have a lovely guest for you today. Let me introduce her formally first, and then we'll get chatting. Midwife Pip is a practicing NHS midwifery sister in the UK, enthusiast of all things women's health, and also mum to her nine week old baby boy. Pip has worked across various maternity settings from community, home birth, birthing centres, and is now based on a labour ward. Pitt believes that pregnancy and birth are such monumental times in a woman's life that should be truly positive and empowering, regardless of the twists and turns that may crop up. Based on this, Pip's mission is to provide honest support and information through her Instagram page at midwife underscore Pip, her podcast, Midwife Pip Podcast, and through her online courses, which can be found at www.midwifepip.com, all of which, of course, will be in our show notes. And now, actually... Poor Pip right now is feeding her brand new baby. So welcome, Pip, and thank you when you're probably very sleep deprived and possibly not wanting to be interviewed for a podcast right now. Uh, hi, Emma. No, it's an absolute pleasure to come on and chat to you. I am very excited. And Finley is too, so you might hear a few <laughs> matters from him along the way. I can only apologise. Well, <laughs> oh well, he's very welcome, and uh, you know we are we are wanting to get this podcast out to all ages. So let's start them young. Um, <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> um, so many congratulations. We're going to get to Finley because we can't leave him out. But, um, I hope your introduction does you justice. Uh, but as always, we love for the, for our guests to elaborate a little bit more. Tell us about the real you, um, but also your role as a midwife, right? now although you're on mat leave 
yeah no absolutely so I am Pip as you said and I just realized in that introduction of it there was a lot of midwife Pip wasn't there but I am Pip who just <laughs> happens to be a midwife um and yes I've been a midwife for quite a while now but only kind of on the I guess social media podcasting scene for a couple of years 18 months ish um, and really that was sparked from that first lockdown when all of a sudden women's services were just like obliterated almost overnight we went from not having that much anyway to having absolutely nothing at a time where women need it arguably more than ever I think and and that's really what led me to take to Instagram and then one thing kind of I guess led to another um but when I'm not on maternity leave I do practice for the NHS I've been practicing full-time and for the last few years I've been based as a sister on a high-risk delivery suite um but very much what I what I love I about that arena in which I've been working is trying to keep the, the normality and that positive birth experience for women, even when things aren't, you know, plain sailing, completely straightforward textbook. Um, but actually, how can we still make their birth experience super positive and super empowering? Because loads of pregnancies and birth do have twists and turns nowadays. You know, they're not all kind of plain sailing like you might see in, in a book or on on YouTube there's different twists and turns and I think it's important we're honest with women about that and that we can support them to make sure that that is still the most wonderful experience of their life and and that's what I love as a midwife and that's why I feel so so privileged to do the job that I do. Oh that's fantastic um I'm so delighted to hear that and what an opening statement in this discussion and um, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about the birth experiences and because we've already, we can hear and we can see Finley there and we've watched your transition into motherhood. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into becoming the personal experience of it or becoming the other side of the fence? You're used to being the midwife. What's it like being the patient? Yeah, good question. I mean, I'd like to think I wasn't a nightmare patient. You should probably get the midwife who looked after me on here and ask her that. But I don't think I was too bad. <laughs> I was like, I can't swear or shout because I need to come back and work here. And otherwise, I'm going to have to start looking for another job. So <laughs> it's quite polite. Um, but no, it was really interesting, actually. The first trimester, I completely underestimated how tough that is. And as a midwife who works on the kind of labour and birth end more so, I don't really see women in their first trimester because if there's any issues, they tend to go to the early pregnancy unit rather than into the midwifery services. So it's not something we saw lots of anyway. And then realise how there's absolutely no support when you're feeling awful and you can't talk to people because you don't want to announce the world that you're pregnant in that first 12 weeks. But it's like the most lonely grueling time I felt constantly sick um yeah and there was just no one to talk to or turn to and I was like this is rubbish you know this is not good enough so I was really shocked by that second trimester I felt lots better so I am very grateful because I know that's not the case for everybody so I was very grateful that second trimester was wonderful I was able to keep lovely and active as was the third trimester and um, my birth was one of the most incredible moments of my life and again I feel really blessed to be able to say that because I, I appreciate that it's again not the case for everybody I found it really hard in labour itself to switch off my midwife head which was really annoying I'd really tried to program myself but I had an awesome midwife who's a great friend of mine and I completely trusted you know a hundred percent but I, I'd really program myself that I was going to switch off that midwife head but I just could not let go of it <laughs> Um, I just because I was like this this is happening now I know checking your odds <laughs> honestly I was I, thank god I wasn't in there that long because I think I would have driven everyone mad 
<laughs> and then postnatally, and, and I know like Emma's fantastic book kind of alludes to this anyway, but again, such a lack in services for women. Mm. You are literally dropped. It's it's shocking. And I'm lucky in that obviously I've got knowledge and and I had quite a straightforward birth but for women that don't or haven't got support around them or don't know what to expect it must be absolutely terrifying and um, so I think having had that real insight into how how the services are there's obviously amazing pros to it but actually it's a really tough time for women and I've, I've definitely seen that now firsthand yeah how do you think that might change your practice going back into uh going back to work yeah, so I think when it comes to that kind of first trimester gap, when women come into me and say, oh, you know, I had morning sickness to begin with, before I was a bit like, oh, yeah, everyone has morning sickness. Now I'm going to be like, tell me all about it. I am so, I'm so here for you. I am so empathetic. What can we do to help? Um, and it's also meant that I'm working more privately with women in that first trimester as well to try and bridge that gap that is so important. And then postnatally, I think when women are discharged from our services, it's just so important we talk through what to expect with them. Um, and I know obviously we're going to probably go on to talk about pelvic health but actually educating women properly because there's no one else that's going to unless they seek that out themselves um, no one else is going to teach them about that so actually we really need to spend that time while we've got them captive in our in our maternity services and then drumming home obviously you know mental health how you can seek support and help and I think being really honest with women because it's not helpful if they think they're going to go home and see a midwife every single day and actually then they don't we really need to be honest and, and have those proper discussions I think. I think one of the things that's stood out for me that you were describing there was the first trimester sickness and the fact that there's lack of support and you can't even then reach out to your own village of support in ways Mm. because you're maybe not announcing a pregnancy yet. Everyone can relate to that and that does make it it's a really cut off lonely secret time that you just have to navigate your own way and really that's where like having access to information about what to do what might help things like that is really really helpful and I know that a lot of the posts and information you put out on your Instagram are very useful for covering some of the things that happened during um, pregnancy and after so that's really really useful but even like did you have a birth plan going in like I'm interested to know I know you know that deliveries don't always go to plan but from the could you take the patient out of yourself and, and did you have a plan and what you hoped to happen and tell us a little bit about the delivery experience yeah, no worries. So um, what was my my plan was I focused quite a lot on the environment because I knew I could control that. So my husband knew exactly what to do. So when we got into hospital, he um, I, I knew I wanted to birth in hospital. I have absolutely nothing against home, against home birth. But for me, I see all sorts in my day to day job. I wouldn't have been able to relax at home. And I'm about 45 minutes from the hospital with good traffic. So for me, that just wasn't comfortable. So I wanted to be in hospital, but ideally in the midwife led kind of birth centre. So it's a bit home from home, but you've kind of got that back up there just in case. Um, so my husband knew once we went in, like what to create in my room. So we had my mood lighting and the music I wanted and we had the pool running. So he was like, you know, he did my antenatal course. So he knew exactly what to go on with. So that was great. I knew that was covered. Um, and then other than the, the environment, my plan really was to have a healthy baby and just go with the flow. I was quite open to in- medical intervention if it was needed. But if it wasn't needed, then I was really keen to stay away from So I feel like I was quite sensible in that aspect. And then I was probably quite fortunate because I didn't need much medical intervention. Um, I had my waters broken at one point um, and I had some difficulty getting my presenter out. So one of the consultants came and helped us with that. But other than that, I was really quite fortunate. So I guess I didn't really test 
my birth preferences as much as I could have um, from that aspect. But the environment was the thing going in that I really wanted to focus on because I knew I could control that. And I know how powerful creating a positive birth environment is. Um, I wanted to stay really mobile and I, I did stay really mobile in fact probably to the annoyance of my midwife because I've never seen anyone do this in labour for all the women I've looked after but every time I had a contraction I would move from the pool to the toilet and then back again so she was basically just chasing me around the room for six hours. <laughs> You're getting in and out of the pool? Yeah constantly in and out of the pool. Wow. That's so I, I remember I laboured in the pool for two of mine and like it, it's actually quite like it's it's a process to actually get out especially yeah. if you're mid-contraction or something so like well I done <laughs> I don't know what I was doing it got to the end when they said Pip you now need to make a decision because Sydney's either going to be born in the pool or on the toilet <laughs> <laughs> and you chose I chose the pool the pool oh, I did beautiful. give him a, a, a more a more appropriate start to life I suppose <laughs> oh it's amazing I mean I think I think women get really hooked on their birth plan um I think the terminology around that's changed more now hasn't it it's more birth preferences um yeah but but what would your advice be for women when it comes to writing down those those preferences um and also you know what would your advice be in how women manage it when it doesn't quite go according to plan yeah definitely so I am a big fan of the term preferences as well I just think if we write a plan and we don't meet our plan, we are automatically disappointed just by human nature. You know, we, we all are, aren't we? If we plan to get something yeah. done in our day, whether it's do the supermarket shop and we don't quite get it done, we just feel a bit disappointed and it's the same with birth. So I think preference is really important. I always say to women, focus on those things that you're going to be able to control regardless. So whether that is a piece of music that you really enjoy or the lighting around you, a particular fragrance, whatever those little things are, because it is your body. So no one's going to do anything without your say-so. Therefore, by default, you are always going to be in control. But we want to make sure that you feel that as well, because otherwise that's really disempowering. I always say make sure you've got the information going into labour and birth, because if you haven't got the information, you can't possibly make informed choices because you don't know what your options are. So really making sure that you're informed going into birth so that when the time comes, whatever might crop up, it's not the first time you've heard it. If the first time you've heard emergency cesarean section mm. is at the time you're being offered it that is absolutely terrifying but actually if someone sat down with you before and said look this is what this would look like and um, these are the time scales actually it might be that yes it's an emergency but actually it's a couple of hours before we might deliver your baby and that's that's absolutely safe and fine these are the options you've now got you can still have skin to skin we can have your music in theater you've got loads of time to ask the questions you need things like that actually then it's a lot less worrying and a lot less scary and I think that's the gap that we really need to start bridging to reduce things like birth trauma in women and partners um, and then ongoing mental health issues in, in the postpartum and make sure that every woman feels like an absolute superhero after she's given birth because yeah. regardless of how she's done that it's incredible like absolutely Aww. incredible this is something we talk about quite a lot like I, I sometimes look back like and I we work in the field of pelvic health and we've had babies ourselves but sometimes I'm like it's absolutely amazing that our bodies do this like I don't still don't fully understand I'm not gonna lie. no not me it's incredible it is an absolute miracle every time I'm like how is that gonna happen and then it just does yeah it is it is quite a magical experience for many women um but I think my 
feeling about the whole subject is that we don't do enough to prepare women um, as as you've said for not only their pregnancy but their you know their postnatal journey hence hence the title of of my book why did no one tell me because you know it's not a shameless plug it is a reality that is Emma we love your book it's fine a little shameless plug Um, but but you know uh, excuse me I'm trying to be serious Um, all all jokes aside I mean how many times Gwenya do we hear in clinic that 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 phrase why did just no one tell me and and it is just so frustrating that we aren't better preparing women, you know, wrapping them up in cotton wool in their pregnancies, I think does them a huge disservice. Um, and I wonder sometimes if that happens because we still, I feel, often work in silos. It's very rare as a, as a private pelvic health physiotherapist that I have the opportunity to work alongside midwives um, and collaborate massively with them unless both of us go that extra mile and I'll be honest I am one of those clinicians that just happens to do that probably because I have um, an experience where that didn't happen to me during my pregnancy and so I see the value in it Um, but I do wonder do you think we are working together enough within our multidisciplinary teams in the NHS but also in, in the private sector as well? Oh my gosh Emma absolutely not um, and I'm going to confess something here. Until I kind of explored the the kind of Instagram world and got to know people like you ladies, I didn't really know what pelvic health physio was. I didn't really know what women's health Nobody physio does. Was. I probably would have thought that if I was 80 and I had a prolapse, then maybe someone would send me to you. I did not Sounds understand that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I did not, honestly did not understand the value of your service. And if it is a midwife who works with women and has been working with women for years, if I didn't understand that you're out there, then there's no way that other people do. Um, so there's no way we're working together if we don't even know about the services that exist. And then, I mean, NHS underfunding is like a whole other thing when it comes to women's health. But I have an ongoing frustration that when you have any other surgery to your body, you would have this physiotherapy follow-up. But when it comes to pregnancy and birth, and regardless of how you birth, whether you have tearing, you have a cesarean, you don't have tearing, there is massive muscle damage to your body through diastasis, et cetera, and changes to your pelvic floor. But you're just like dropped. You might be given a leaflet to do some mm-hmm. Kegel exercises, but no one's told you how to do them. So how helpful is that? It's just absolutely rubbish. Yeah. That's we talk way. about this quite a lot, actually. Um, those are really, really good points. And it's so good that I can see that you see that from your role and your stance, because like me and Emma's all are shouting about the fact that people get like men in sports, not, not to stereotype men, but let's do it for, for a second. Men get a, a keyhole knee surgery and get nine months of guaranteed rehabilitation. And yet women, as you say, no matter how they deliver, no matter what their birth story, how it went was, they have had significant physiological, physical, psychological changes, and they should be getting the support they need. I almost think that birth, because it's something that women do every day, there's deliveries every day, it becomes such a normal thing it's a normal process and you just get up and get on with it and as women by generations and by society we tended to just get up and get on with it so you may be carrying all the symptoms of that happen after having a baby that are warning signs that you might need to get help like leaking like prolapse but you tend to find that you just suffer in silence and I also think one of the other things that you mentioned was that um the, it was really interesting that you say you didn't even know what pelvic health physio does because like I imagine that you know 
say I would definitely imagine that OSIs or any sort of with an anal sphincter injury during delivery would be getting followed up for in as a pathway in your hospital trust. But like we should really with midwives, pelvic health physios, the nearly the next in line. So there should be that collaboration and there should be that like uh, communication between each other. So yes, there's definitely much that we should be doing to move forward. What do you think needs to happen to make that change? So in a, if I could like have a magic crystal ball in a dream, dream world, what would happen is women would have their babies before they even leave a hospital. They would be seen by an expert like yourselves to actually teach them. Or oh, even in, actually, let's let's go back. Let's go back. In pregnancy, you book your pregnancy. You speak to your midwife. You have your plan of care. Part of your plan of care is to be assessed by a pelvic health physio, regardless of symptoms. So you've got a starting point. And then we get to the crystal ball and you've had your baby. And then before you leave the hospital, you're again seen by somebody. In an ideal world, that'd be the same person because they know where you were and where you finished, but I'm probably clutching at extra straws there, but at least seen by somebody. So we send women home knowing how to rehabilitate their bodies at least. And we know where they are at that point. And then we need a follow-up. I mean, the, the sort of check with your GP at six weeks. I mean, some GPs I'm sure are absolutely fantastic. Mm. But I'd probably say about 80% of the women I speak to say that check is very much, are you okay? Yes, right, done. That's your that's your check. It's not a physical check. And so many women come to me and say, oh, I'm waiting for my six-week check before I go back to X, Y, and Z. But actually, that check is very often not a physical check. And GPs can't be the expert at everything. You know, They're doing their best, but they can't be the expert at everything. So that really needs to also involve, again, a proper pelvic health check. I'm really fortunate in that I was able to seek a private pelvic health appointment in my pregnancy. And then again, yesterday, I oh, went to have a postnatal check. Yeah. Um, and I've been asymptomatic throughout. But actually, for me, that was a really important investment in my own health. And I'm fortunate that I can go and go down that pathway. But it's not good enough that women should have to seek it out privately. It should be part of your uh, pregnancy and then your postnatal care package, I feel. Yeah. And I dream on. of that world. Oh, I think we all do, don't we? <laughs> and sometimes I feel it's going to happen. You see the NHS 10-year plan released just prior to the pandemic. And, you know, most women are going to be offered at least one appointment postnatally with pelvic health physios. And then, unfortunately, resources are stretched as it, as it stands at the moment. And, and I truly believe that it will happen. Um, but it's a question as to when and is there are there even enough of us I mean I just don't think there's enough of us to see all the all the pregnant women every year um so there's huge changes needed but it's also just telling women and showing women that they're valued that you know you, you you feel I don't know if I hope you felt like this during your pregnancies. You were so important and growing baby obviously is, is a, a, a such priority, but you're both a priority. And then you have your baby and it's a little bit like, well, congratulations, great stuff. Baby's doing really well. And we hope you are too, but we haven't really got the funding to help you guys out. And it's when you say it out loud, it's actually ludicrous that we, we, we're having the conversation, but it's just so depressing in the 21st century that women aren't being better managed postnatally um and 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 you know thank goodness that there is social media to get the messages out to women that they that they do deserve better but it shouldn't be that women can only really access us privately and that's that's kind of where I feel we are at the moment if if you can afford to see us that's brilliant but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be an elitist club which in, in part it sometimes feels like doesn't it 
Yeah, I totally agree, Emma. And, and like you say, it's, it's just not good enough. And, and the NHS really needs to really needs to step up on that because it's true once your baby is here, even as a, as a mum experiencing myself, and, and I like to think I do still value my health and, and are willing to invest in my wellness, but you just haven't got that much time. So if someone is saying to you, you've got to go and seek, seek a practitioner and then you've got to go and book that appointment and then you've got to pay for that appointment. You're like, oh, but my baby needs like another hundred thousand nappies and, you know, I need a breast pump and all this other stuff and all these barriers that just come into play. Um, and that's where, yeah, it just needs to be better, doesn't it? It just really needs to be yeah, better. It really does. Tell me, how well educated are midwives now in uh, pelvic health when you're training? They're not. <laughs> Please elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're really not. Um, oh and it's the same really with things like exercise and pregnancy and nutrition and pregnancy, which again, massive passions of mine and obviously link into our whole wellness as a woman and how we value our bodies. But yeah, the training just isn't, there just isn't training specifically on that. And it might be that you have, I don't know, half a day's lecture or an hour here or there, but it's certainly not enough. And, and it's not that your midwife isn't going to be the person that is assessing your pelvic floor health in pregnancy or afterwards because they aren't experts in it and we'd be lying if we said we were and they're not going to be the person that's assessing your diastasis thoroughly and telling yeah. you how to rehabilitate that specifically for you because again they're not experts in that and that's where we need to be like oh I've got a friend who's a pelvic health physio who will exactly know what to do with you and help you rehabilitate properly and that's where we need to collaborate yeah absolutely we shouldn't be asking midwives to treat pelvic health other than signposts because let's face it you guys are under the most bonkers amount of pressure um and i i think i'm right in saying that last week there was a march for maternity services yeah and uh your instagram your recent instagram post really highlighted that our maternity services are in crisis um can you give us a little bit more of an idea of what's going on what what's being done and you know what's morale like amongst midwives at the moment yeah of course so the march for midwives that took place was essentially like I guess a cry for help from women families midwives anyone who sought or needs access from maternity services which is probably most people nowadays mm. or if it's not you it's you know your daughter or someone you know and we know the NHS has struggled with funding and maternity services have been really underfunded for years and years and years and midwives and campaigners have pushed and tried to raise this as a concern and nothing's happened. And we've now landed in a point where we've got uh, 29 midwives leaving every year of every 30 that train. So we, are, we were already in a deficit of midwives. We are now in an absolute crisis for midwives. Wow. The issue is those midwives that are practicing are under huge stress. They're doing double the work. They're going 13 hours without going to the toilet, without having breaks. It's just absolute, like you wouldn't expect anyone to work under some of the conditions that mm -hmm. our midwives are trying to function under. And as a result, we've got midwives leaving with stress um, because they've just had enough. They're burnt out. They want to be able to give women the absolute best service they can. No one goes into midwifery for the money. They go into it because they want to work with women and give women amazing care. And when you feel like you can't do that anymore and you're working with all these other pressures, you can see why people are leaving in their droves. And then the other issue is that those midwives that are training are all brand newly qualified. And that's amazing because we want to nurture them and bring them on. But if we've got all of our really skilled, experienced midwives leaving and we're replacing them with brand newly qualified midwives, there's no one to bring these girls up, these girls or, or men, um, but there's no one to bring them up to kind of scratch um, and help them gain that experience. And for them, that's really vulnerable and really scary. 
And then we see them leave as well. And then there's no one to train our students. And there's evidence out there about how many students have got um, post-traumatic stress from some of the experiences they see. And I think that's the thing with, with midwifery. We obviously see the most wonderful, amazing birth, but we also see the other end of that. And we carry that with us. We never forget that. You know, we think about those families all the time. Um, and it's a massive responsibility and a really stressful job. So to be doing that in the kind of state that the NHS has left our maternity services is super, super tough. Oh, my goodness. And I remember, actually, during my last delivery thinking about I had a really supportive team and I, I've been lucky enough to have had uh, the majority of my birth experience have been super super positive and I remember thinking how amazing the team were they were really busy and rushing with their feet but I actually was sitting at one point going oh my goodness like the responsibility I was thinking from my own perspective as a physio and at that stage I had been working in the, I was still working in the trust so I was thinking the amount of responsibility on these shoulders because they don't just have my life at stake here they're the baby's life I was like this is massive and I remember it just taking a moment what between contractions thinking about that and thinking and then I was just like oh they're so underpaid and overworked if you know what I mean when you think about it I was like this is massive and it's it's it always looked I always looked at midwives in such awe and thought it looks like a lovely career but that's me seeing the positive end of it from my experience of going in, I don't get to see all what they've had to do sacrifice to make that care for me happen and all the rushing between rooms and the red buzzers going off and them having to drop all and go. And it, it is, it's really, really high pressured. What can like, what needs to change in order to improve recruitment and retention? Yeah, so I think that the issue we've got, again, is, is recruiting people. There just aren't the midwives at the moment to recruit. So we need to definitely explore new ways of training people, um, midwifery is a job that quite often appeals to women later on in life and um, once they've had children etc and that's amazing and we want to be able to recruit those people but to send them to university for three years without funding when they've got probably a mortgage and, and a family is really really tough so we need to find a way of supporting those people that would probably be absolutely incredible compassionate hard-working midwives we need to find a way of nurturing them and supporting them to be able to fulfill that um, I don't I don't have the answer to that, but but I think that would be a massive, massive help in terms of recruitment. And then it's retention. So actually making midwifery an attractive job to do because it is an incredible job. But in the ways that people are trying to work at the moment, it's less than incredible. Um, so we need to look at improving the, the sort of retention of staff, making sure that we have got enough midwives. That, that midwives can have a lunch break at some point in their 13 hour night shift and, and things like that. So actually it's, a, it's more of an attractive profession and then supporting midwives so making sure that there is both psychological and physical support out there for the midwives that are doing, doing this job every day and our mm. students, we can't forget our students because they are the future of midwifery. So, so we need to nurture them as well. Do you get much in the way of counselling if, if unfortunately um, a lady loses her baby? Do you get any, any sort of support from your, from your team if that happens? So as a team, I like to think I work in a really lovely, friendly unit um, and we're like a little family. So absolutely, we would be supporting of each other. Um, and I say this as someone who runs a shift, so I'll be allocating a midwife to look after a woman who might have sadly lost her baby. And then the reality is, if all of a sudden eight other women come in in labour and I have no other midwife to put in with another woman, that poor midwife is jumping from that situation, obviously, is emotionally absolutely awful to then look after something on the complete flip side of things. 
Um, and for for midwife mental health, that is just shocking. But that is the reality. And it's not that we want to put our midwives through through that kind of um, ordeal. Um, but sometimes there just isn't a choice because there's just not the midwives to care for, for the women. And, and we've seen, especially during, I think, the pandemic and, and continuing, is a massive reduction in birth choices for women. And mm. um, that's home birth teams being withdrawn. It takes two midwives to go out to a home birth. Whereas if you're in the unit, you have one midwife looking after you. So lots of places have withdrawn their home birth service and then birth centres being closed left, right and centre because they can't be staffed. Oh, gosh. Well, you're so undervalued, aren't you? And it's only when you hear hear it from from someone like yourself, you realise, first of all, how special you are, but just how taken for granted you are as a profession. And... um, Oh, that makes me feel really sad. We desperately need to make changes because we're gonna we're, we're gonna end up losing our midwifery services if if, if we're not careful, really, aren't we? Yeah, and it, it, that does really scare me. And I don't want this. this um, I feel like that was really negative now for anyone who's like maybe listening, <laughs> thinking, would I like to be a midwife? They're probably like, uh, no. But actually, <laughs> but actually, if if midwifery was funded as it should be. And yeah. as a women's health service, you know, I absolutely love my job. I completely love being a midwife and there's nothing I'd rather do. Um, but yeah, we just need the proper support and foundations around it. And hopefully um, the purpose really of marching midwives over the weekend was to hopefully push for that. So fingers crossed for fingers a brighter crossed. midwifery future. And I think if you, it. yeah, and I think if you look at your social media, oh my goodness you can see how much you love your job you know you you would be the person that would make me want to be a midwife so fear not you aren't you aren't um (laughs) having any you're having an honest discussion about the realities of of what the maternity services services are facing and I think the public need to be aware of it and I think we as healthcare professionals need to be aware of it because we're probably not that aware aware of it and we we need to be much more involved in in supporting you I, I think um what sort of effect changing the subject slightly what sort of effect do you think the pandemic has had on our pregnant and and postnatal population yeah I think everyone is very understandably so in a bit of a heightened sense Mm. of anxiety and because there's just so many unknowns isn't there there's so and I I completely empathize with women because I was in that category you know I was pregnant working on the front line with loads of COVID positive women absolutely no idea what this meant for for my pregnancy, for the health of me or my baby, or what the vaccine looked like. And, and that was just a massive, massive unknown. Thankfully, as the kind of months or years now have kicked on, and um, we've obviously got more evidence with regards to the safety of the vaccine, which hopefully is reassuring for lots of women um, and the level of protection. But we're seeing still every day women admitted to ITU that are really sick. And I saw a statistic, um, I think yesterday, about the Delta variant of COVID. And catching that in pregnancy meant that your risk of stillbirth was like one in 36. Oh my gosh. Like four times, like something completely terrifying. Um, so understandably, pregnant women are a heightened yeah. sense of anxiety. And that's when they need the NHS and they need the midwives there for them. What we need to make sure doesn't happen is that women don't seek medical attention because they're worried about COVID, because that's yeah. equally as dangerous. So if women have got any concerns about themselves or their babies, it's so important they still reach out because midwives and hospitals are doing everything to keep hospitals as safe as possible. Um, and we need women to know that the service is still there for them 24 seven. Absolutely. Can you um, clarify for anyone listening, if they're pregnant right now, um, about the COVID vaccination and, and where we're at at the moment, because it is safe for, 
uh, to have during pregnancy. But perhaps hearing that from you and uh, would, would be a really useful, useful thing. Yeah, definitely. So that's the advice now and um, widespread is that the vaccine is safe for pregnancy. It's a non-live vaccine. So we've given vaccines like the flu or the whooping cough to pregnant women for years and years and years. Um, and we're happy that they're safe. They're non-live vaccines, like the COVID is also a non-live vaccine. Um, and there hasn't been anything over the, the kind of studies and trials that have been done both in the UK and the US that have made us think it isn't safe to have in pregnancy. What we do know is that the risk of getting COVID in pregnancy, especially unvaccinated, is quite high. And that, that risk of admit admission to intensive care or stillbirth does significantly increase. So if we're kind of imagining we've got a, I always think about a pair of old fashioned weighing scales, the kind of the, those slight still unknowns with the vaccine tend to, to um, be outweighed by the known risks of catching COVID unvaccinated in pregnancy. But if women have got any concerns, it's worth just having a little chat with your GP or your midwife. You know, if you've got kind of health conditions that you think, oh, is that going to be the same for me? Or any um, kind of uncertainty, then people are more than happy to have a little chat with you and help you navigate the right choice for you. Well, I think that's a really important message to go out there. So thanks for sharing that, Pip. Um, I was going to say that, like, do you think your experience of going into motherhood will change you when you go back to work? I know we talked about how you'll be more empathetic when you're hearing people complain of their early pregnancy symptoms, but even just in terms of your practice during on the delivery suite, do you think anything will change or were you happy that the patient experience that you had reinforced that everything you're doing is, is creating the environment and the processes that should be carried out? Yeah, I don't think it will change anything drastically. Um, and I, I always say that because every woman's birth is so different, right? So I had, I was very fortunate, I had an uncomplicated water birth. I might be looking after someone who has got the complete opposite. You know, they've got every drip and buzzer going. Perhaps they're going for an unplanned cesarean section birth. My birth experience doesn't really add much to theirs because I can't empathise. We're going through completely different journeys. Um, and some of the best midwives I know have never had children, but they are they're so empathetic and compassionate and that doesn't, doesn't impact their ability to be an awesome, awesome midwife. Well, what about postpartum recovery then? Mm. How did you find it? Was it as you expected? Was there was it more of a, as I say, like a a big physical change to your body that required honor and heal? And how have you found that you've progressed through that? And have you done anything in particular to help facilitate your postnatal recovery? So you'll be really proud of me, ladies. The next day I started doing my pelvic floor exercises. Woohoo! Yeah. Yes. I got Welcome. those in. I got those in. <laughs> Um, so for me, I was fortunate in that I could walk. So the from the day after we brought Finley home after about five hours, the next day was like, let's just go for a little walk down the block. And oh my goodness, I felt like everything was falling out of me that first walk. I was like, this is awful. What on earth has happened to my body? Like this is almost like you give birth the day before, hey? <laughs> Something like that, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> but each day the walking got easier. I now no longer feel like everything's falling out of me, which is fantastic. Um, so very much for me, it was pelvic floor and walking from as soon as possible and that was amazing for my mental health as well I'm not a kind of sat inside on the sofa person and I've been exclusively breastfeeding Finley so I feel like I've been sat on the sofa a lot yeah. and that was definitely a struggle for me and I knew that was going to be one of my struggles I was kind of peak marathon training when I got pregnant was fortunate to stay active throughout my pregnancy and then was like oh I'm just going to sit on the sofa for two weeks this is uh, very different um, and that's still something I definitely, definitely struggle with is not being able to be like, 
I'm just going to go for a run for two hours or I'm just going to do some weights for an hour and we've got a little home gym set up you know I'm just going to use that I literally can't because Cindy's like oh <laughs> mum wants to do something for herself I think I'll feed um, so that's definitely been my biggest challenge I was really hot on my nutrition and hydration so my husband actually when I told him my waters had gone I wasn't even contracting he ran around the house collecting up water bottles and putting them in every area that I might be breastfeeding because he'd heard how important it was to have trade oh, oh, he is well uh, trained and you hadn't had the baby yet no I was, I was in the <laughs> I think my water gone but I'm not contracting there's no rush well he was in that front door the, the house was tidy the I like this and guy he he has a vision and he is committing to it <laughs> so yeah hydration I've always got water bottles everywhere and he's continued to fill them up so all all credit Um, and then just making sure we had some sort of healthy snacks and meals to go to because I know especially when you're hungry you need something you can eat with one hand within the first few days I was slipping into the habit of just eating loads of chocolate hot dogs which is fine but I also needed like protein to nourish my body to heal um, so that was something I was really hot on in my recovery is trying to make sure I had just some like cooked chicken or some boiled eggs and things like that that I could just grab that was at least getting some nutrition in to support the chocolate hot dogs. Wow. Brilliant. <laughs> and your goal is um, from an exercise perspective, are you are you keen to get back to running? I'm so keen, Emma. <laughs> I would literally like, can I go today? And we had this rule that I was not allowed to even think about it until 12 weeks. So I'm like, almost 12 weeks, come on, come on, come on. And my husband's like, no, we're not, we're not even thinking about it till 12 weeks. And then we're seeing how you feel and we're taking it gradual. And I'm like chomping at the bit. Um, but actually, as much as I'm desperate to, in reality, I don't know when I would actually do it. Like I physically don't know when I'd fit it in at the moment. Um, so as much as I'd like to say, yeah, 12 weeks, I'm gonna be out that door running, someone needs to look after Finley and, and we haven't got family near us. So that's just not going to happen. So it will be whenever it will be. And I'm going to learn to be accepting of that. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm going to learn to be accepting of the fact that running might take a little bit longer. Um, and then absolutely going to be following your um, return to running guidelines. because It's really important to me. I do it steadily and sensibly. And actually, when I spoke to the physio yesterday and she said kind of like, what are your goals? And I said to go back to running and exercise, but in a way that means I'm not going to have to regress. I want to do it sensibly from day one so that I don't end up with issues later on. And at some point, hopefully, we will be lucky enough to have another baby. And I want to have rehabilitated my body to a place where I can have as comfortable pregnancy and as active pregnancy as I did this time. Yeah. Um, so it's it's going to be slow and steady and sensible. Not things I say often, but we're going with that. I'd like to add the massive caveat that we haven't prepped you for any of that at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> that is just perfectly said though I have to say and you're right you do you really do have to listen to your body take your time and even someone like yourself who I think you said has no pelvic floor uh, dysfunction you're asymptomatic you do still have to rehab get strong running's running's a demanding sport and I think we underestimate how much it asks of our body um so just like anything else you need to build up to it uh, but it is just the best thing when you get back out there <laughs> and you've got your mind nothing else to, to, to distract you it is it is a wonderful a wonderful exercise to do I think as a as a as a new mum but when the time's right in the meantime you can walk to your heart's content, you can spin, you can cross train, you can strength train. So there's lots, lots that you can do. It's just not quite what you want to do just yet. 
Yeah, that's it. But it does really help when you talk about the kind of strength training. It really helps in my head to think like, this is me preparing my body for running. So I kind of feel like I'm getting there. It doesn't feel a million miles away. And like my focus for the next few weeks is going to be to start doing more single leg strength work. Because as we know as runners, when you're running, you're never actually on both feet. So doing lots of sort of um, bilateral work isn't actually incredibly helpful. We need to mix it up with some unilateral strength. So that's kind of going to be my next few weeks. So I feel like I'm making progress at least, even though I'm not lacing up just yet. I think you're a pelvic health physio, really. Bit of a convert. I promise I'm not. (laughs) But you know what you mentioned about um, not being able to get the time, like even if you wanted to go and desire to go running, there's all the practicalities of thinking, well, what do I do with the baby and how long can I physically be away? And so where does that mean I can actually go for a run? All the things you never had to contemplate or think about before this transition into motherhood and one of the things that's really good about getting back to running is you kind of get back to that self of identity and I think that's really important for people too that you get something that isn't just about you being a mom motherhood's the most Mm. transformational role that you'll go into it's going to be a huge part of the next phase of your life and it's amazing but it's also nice to have elements of pip (laughs) pip before she was a mom and things and getting back to it and at least running means that when you eventually get to stages where you have windows you usually can sort something out because you don't need equipment you know you don't need a certain geographical location and you can kind of start to think about it and make it work for you so no that's exciting and I can't wait I can't wait to watch your Instagram Mm. to see when you're out running oh I can't wait and it's it's a harder result I think it's made me massively drop my ego if I'm being completely honest because I've always been like you know in pregnancy I just got on with running I just carried on I ran up until the week he was born it felt great I was really really fortunate and all my all my kind of friends and family were like oh you'll be that person Pip that when your baby's born you're out running with the buggy the next day and I was very much like well no that's not going to be me because I don't want a prolapse in three years time and I think it's about stripping it back and being like they don't expect that from me it's not going to happen so let's Mm -hmm. let's just be realistic and so I think I've been quite strict with that just saying this is why I'm not doing it because I'm looking after my body yeah, I think that messaging is really important and you're, you're a great, great role model. You're also an incredibly calm mum because let me tell you, at nine weeks postnatal, I would not have been sitting talking to two other people whilst breastfeeding my child. He's he's barely, he's not really joined in. I'm a bit disappointed. Don't speak too soon. He's well, got some lungs on him, I'll tell you. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, we are acutely aware that you'll probably have a, have a, an enormous amount to do uh, for the rest of the day so we won't uh, take up too much more of your time but what we always like to ask our expert guests um, we like to ask them for three tips that they might offer women listening um, to help them improve or protect their pelvic health and given that you're a ma- midwife perhaps they are three tips sur- around pregnancy or postnatal recovery that you would wouldn't mind sharing with us the first one, this is going to sound a bit out there, was a tip that it might even have been you, Emma, that gave me on, it might have been on my podcast, but was to get a stool to poo on, not to poo on the stool, yeah, nice. to put your feet on the stool. Don't poo on the stool. On the stool. Important the differentiation there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, to have a, a little step or a little stool or like a pile of books, whatever, just to elevate your feet on when you are going for number two, when you're having a poo on the toilet. And then to think about breathing rather than straining and pushing. 
And that's a tip that I took on when you told me that in pregnancy and have continued to. We've still got the stool uh, because actually it is so much more effective and comfortable. And then after I'd given birth and had stitches, just knowing that I was going to use my stool psychologically made the whole thing much more straightforward. So I know that's probably a bit of a niche random one, but that's the first one that springs to mind. Very important. Is the stool. Very important. The other is if you possibly can, and I know we've already explained that it shouldn't be the way, but to invest in seeing a local um, women's health or pelvic health physiotherapist. And there are ways and means. If that isn't something that's financially viable to you, maybe if you're having a baby shower rather than having like 100,000 grey baby grows that your baby's just going to grow out of, ask everyone to chip in a few pounds towards that for you. Or when your baby's born, if they want mm. to gift something, then, then looking at it in that way if you possibly can. The other is going to be to try and make pelvic uh, floor exercises part of your routine. And that was something I honestly really struggled with, even though there is no excuse because you can do them while you're doing like a million other things. But what I found worked just for me was having a post-it note on the mirror where I brushed my teeth. Um, and that meant that I knew I was going to get them in twice a day because I was brushing my teeth. Oh, yeah, pelvic floor. And it was just making them part of my routine that was a struggle. Once I was, it was there and it reminded me, I was like, easy to do them. But it was just that reminder that I needed to get it in my routine. I think that's probably the case for lots of busy women. So, yeah, stools by your toilet and post-it notes on your bathroom mirrors. <laughs> and I like the gift idea. I, funny enough, I had a local midwife here um, purchase her sister who had a baby and purchase her a postnatal check and got it booked in and all. And I was like, that is so, that's such a good present. That's so that's thoughtful. Yeah. That's an amazing present. In fact, when I recorded on your podcast, I think you suggested as well a good present for baby showers with vouchers for um, HelloFresh or, you know, the, yeah. the, the companies that prepare your meals in the early days. I really like that tip. Um, yeah, obviously not pelvic fun. health. <laughs> but you're, you have good baby shower ideas. I love it. <laughs> Food and pelvic health checkups. What more do you need? <laughs> Well, a million thank yous for joining us and just huge congratulations for being a new mum. Welcome to the club. It's quite an amazing place to be, hey? Thank you so much, ladies. Yeah, it is the most wonderful, crazy rollercoaster ever, but yeah, loving it most days. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kip. We'll put all your details Thanks on our so show no notes. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, ladies. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye, Finley. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Always love to hear your feedback and any questions you might have. So please do contact us via Instagram at your cervix underscore the podcast or Twitter at your cervix underscore PM. Don't forget to check out our wonderful sponsor, Pelvic Relief. You can find them at www.pelvicrelief.co.uk. Gronya and I really look forward to catching up with you next week.